to Exceptional Performance, The Leaders Podcast. This podcast is an introduction to the 10 essential elements to achieve an exceptional performance culture. Episode by episode, we break down five elements in planning, the what, and five elements in leadership, the how. By having experts share their experience, knowledge, and expertise in realizing these essential elements. The what, or the planning elements, are explored in our first five episodes. First, defining purpose, working on your charter together. Then, taking stock, getting real about today. In our third episode, we look at communicating the vision, getting creative to define the future and chart the course. Episode four, creating ownership, we look at getting buy-in and rigorous implementation. And finally, ensuring alignment, identifying roles, responsibilities, and KPIs. Today, I'm sitting down with Rob Sagan of the Productive Leadership Institute to get a deeper understanding and ask him some questions about element five, ensuring alignment, identifying roles, responsibilities, and KPIs, the final element of the what or the planning elements. So figuratively speaking here, Rob, the bus is rolling at this point in the process. Now that it's left the station, how do we make sure our bus or our implementation isn't all over the road? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, it's uh, it's not a question that lacks complexity because, you know, typically business planning uh, ends up with at least two or three important strategic priorities. Well, you multiply even just two or three strategic priorities across a big organization, and there's a lot that it impacts uh, each each person, each employee. And what you want to do at this stage of ensuring alignment is to make sure that everybody has a chance to plan their work and then work their plan. So, in our experience, there's there's four elements that help each individual employee move forward. One is to understand the bigger picture. Does each employee see what the expectations are, understand who their stakeholders are, who <laughs> judges their success, and decides whether they've had a mediocre year or a great year in implementing the plan? What's their value proposition to, to the organization? Secondly, uh, What's their potential to make a positive contribution to the plan? You know, where where is the best uh, opportunity for them to have a positive footprint? Third, what's the best use of their time and the desired outcomes that they're trying to create for the organization? And last but not least, their development. So what do they need to do better and different to make sure that their contribution is optimized? So these questions help to establish that sort of true north for everybody and uh, check, check in in terms of their motivation to be part of the solution going forward. But what motivates employees to perform at their best has been studied extensively for years. And we really uh, are quite fond of some work of recent from a gentleman named Daniel Pink. And a lot of people have heard of Daniel Pink. He's got a great TED Talk about what motivates employees in this brain-based economy. And it's worth looking at these because it really applies to what we're talking about here. He talks about three key motivators in this economy. Once you take money off the table, uh, what, what drives the highest performance, the highest engagement are when employees have a sense of purpose, autonomy, and mastery. Right. And these are three very important concepts, purpose, autonomy, mastery. But how do you recommend our listeners leverage these three concepts when moving forward with implementation? Well, this is where they can take advantage of a natural organizational structure, which is you usually have functional sub-team leaders. So let's take, for example, a leader of HR. 
you know, a leader of finance or operations or in the life science industry, medical affairs, clinical specialists. In the technology industry, you may have product development, those sorts of things. So the team leaders can look at bringing their folks together. Let's, uh, let's take an example we just had from a client that works in uh, biotech. So the leader of the clinical specialist team that goes out and visits with practitioners and helps practitioners identify patients with rare diseases, his organization had just published their strategic priorities, their strategic plan, and it's his responsibility to lead his team to contribute to the implementation. And I thought that they did a terrific job because the team leader communicated the, you know, the, fu- the future state, the purpose of the organization, all the things we've talked about in, in the previous podcast, did a really good job of giving everybody the full picture. And then he asked an important question of all the team members, you know, why did they uh, care so much about their work? You know, what, 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 why did they do what they did? And one of the uh, clinical specialists put his hand up and gave a very emotional, impromptu, I wouldn't say speech, but shared a story that the rest of the team really used as motivation, as a real inspiring message. He said that when he was visiting with one of the top uh, tech, uh, hospitals in, in his territory, his uh, one of his customers invited him to come meet a patient who had benefited from their rare disease technology. It, it actually saved his life and his Parents were there. It was a young man in his early 20s. And his parents shook his hand and gave him a hug, the patient. And it really, obviously, was quite a, an emotional uh, exchange between the family and the clinical specialist. But he brought that story back to the group after the team leader had, you know, outlined the plan, the purpose, the strategies. And he said, that's my answer to your question. This is why I come to work here. Um, listen, we can all do a lot of things, but the, fa- the fact that we get to go out there and help save lives and give people back quality of life is powerful. So not everybody has that opportunity, Eric, but it is a good chance for sub-team leaders to go to go into their sub-teams and, and make sure the alignment is there. Communicate, again, the, the other elements that preceded purpose, um, the current state of affairs, the future state or vision of the organization, its strategic priorities, and where the implementation plan is, is at this point. And how can this sub-team like clinical specialists or medical affairs or in the technology world or packaged goods world, marketing, how can they contribute to this? And what we typically like to see when sub-team leaders do this are three really important outcomes. One, that everybody understands the bigger picture. Number two, each person has been able to identify how can I contribute to what we're trying to do here as a team? And where's the value proposition in my role? We're gonna, where am I going to use, let's say, next year's time, the 2,000 or so hours I rent to the company to make the most positive contribution I can? And how will that be measured? So, so people, in a sense, pre-write their performance review before the year starts. That's a very powerful concept. It's the Stephen Covey idea of start with the end in mind. Right. Let's go back to Daniel Pink for a second. I've read a lot about his work, and he seems to do a good job of understanding the current mindset of Gen X and Gen Y in the workplace. Yeah, he really does. And in a future podcast, we'll be bringing um, David Jameson's perspective uh, to the podcast series. Uh, Dr. Jameson is the current chief scientific officer at Enveronics and a real global specialist in 
looking at the values that are shaping organizations and societies and the impact that now you see in the workplace with Gen X as of 2015 dominating middle management and Gen Y now dominating entry-level roles. So, so the boomers who are in executive management roles are having to adjust because the mindset and the perspective is different. But back to Pink for a minute, this is where the opportunity for alignment and ownership is important at that at that grassroots level. Every employee has to see how they can make the contribution. And this is a real powerful concept with Gen X and Gen Y as a as a way that they want to do their best work. Show me how, you know, where, where, where are we going as an organization? What's the big picture? Don't keep me in the dark. And give me an opportunity to think about how I can make a contribution. What, what's the impact I can have? They want that sense of autonomy, as Daniel Pink call, calls it. So one of the things that we challenge our clients to do is as they're moving implementation forward, allowing each employee to define not only where they can make their biggest contribution with the 2,000 hours that they have, but how do they see doing that? Giving them the autonomy to come back with a plan that should not be overly micromanaged by senior management. What's the contribution? And what we what we find is that they bring a lot of creativity, energy, and they normally wow their um, senior management um, team members with some really creative approaches to how can the work get done in the most effective and efficient way. Right. That's efficiency. But when you look at today's workforce, the pace of work is increasing perhaps exponentially. What can people do to catch up to this pace while still maintaining a high quality of life? Well, there's no question that it's getting tougher and tougher. I mean, I we typically ask our uh, executives and managers and and even front level employees to share with us, you know, examples like how many emails per day do you get? How many meetings are you asked to attend? And it's just getting crazy. It's not unusual to find most people dealing with between 100 and 200 emails a day. So the demands on their time are increasing, and all the while, you know, here are employers trying to grow business post-recession, and they're not adding a lot of extra headcount. So our guidance to people at every, any level is you've got to work smart. You've got to look for an opportunity to work smarter. Well, how do you do that in the context of the, what we're talking about, where you've got an organization that wants to move its business into that exceptional range? And the only healthy way that we can see in, is that question of where do I spend my 2,000 hours? What we typically find when groups, or, you know, teams or subteams are discussing that question, and we, we usually ask each person on the team to present their idea first and let other people on the team contribute to it, is that invariably we find that people are saying yes to too many things. And typically they're saying yes to things that really don't matter. They, they tend to work at least a level below where they really should be working to add value. So let me give you an example. We were recently working with a, an internal corporate legal team. And over the past three years, because of high growth, it's an exceptional organization, the key, uh, the team leader for legal had found himself kind of one morning, woke up, and instead of it just being him and a couple of paralegals and assistants, there were now five full-time uh, practitioners and he suddenly was leading a group practice. So when Bill presented his ideas for where he could add the most value to the next fiscal year business plan and presented them in front of his now expanded team, they actually changed a lot of things that were on his list. We, you know, we asked people to put them in the buckets of priority one, priority two, priority three with general guidelines around things like your priority one should represent somewhere around 50 to 60% of 
your focus, priority two between 20 and 30%, and priority three between 5 and 15% are in that range. So it's a great concept. But when people present that back to each other, it's a chance for the entire group to look at it. And in this case, they said to Bill, Bill, we really want you to spend less time in, in managing contracts and getting involved in day-to-day and be really up a level, providing strong people leadership, helping to fight for resources for us and being involved in some of the strategic thinking around the way we add value to the commercial business and to help us with our development, coach and mentor us. That was a lot different than the list he started with. So if every employee has a chance to have that discussion, then they can leave that discussion knowing that not only does their boss, but their peers have their backs and have endorsed a, a work smart plan for them. This is what this is the stuff we wanted to say yes to. And then we also asked them to identify what are low value activities that get in the way of your high value activities. And everybody's got a long list of those. And the only successful strategy to managing those lower value activities is to put them on the table and ask for help from your team members to either delegate, eliminate, or simplify those activities, minimize them at least, uh, to free up time and shift towards the higher value proposition in their jobs. I mean, otherwise, a lot of people just drown at work. There's way more work than most people can do if they decide to try to do it all themselves. And this is a this is a skill now that workers need to come in and have right from day one and all the way until they get to exec- executive management skills. It's sort of a akin to the, again, back to Stephen Covey, the seven habits of highly effective people. This is what really drives what I'll call strong personal leadership skills and allows people to be able to bring value to their employer, but then be able to shut it down and also be focused and be in the moment when they're outside of work. Right. That personal leadership skill set you just mentioned, Rob, I'd like to know how that kind of personal development plays a role in exceptional performance. Well, you know, that question supports, you know, Daniel Pink's concept that highly engaged employees are motivated to perform at their best, at least in part by the human desire to master a particular craft. So we think it's best practices for every employee at least once a year to not only look at, you know, what their value proposition is and vet that through their colleagues and their boss, but to also come back to their sub-team and say, look, every year if we're going to achieve higher results and higher performance, then all of us have to, we all have to perform at a higher level. Otherwise, we're just the weak link in the chain. And so we think it's a really healthy thing, again, at least once a year, and in the context of the business plan, to have every employee from you know the guy in the corner office to the person in entry-level job ask themselves four questions. What are my top three strengths in pursuit of my desired outcomes, my contribution to the business plan? What's the primary area I need to develop in pursuit of my goals and outcomes and the business plan? What's the potential return on investment for my employer as I develop in that particular area identified in the second question? So if I want to get better at let's say, consultative selling. Well, so what? You know, you invest money in me. Does that result in enough return on investment for my employer? And last but not least, each person should ask themselves, why do I want to change? Why do I want to grow as a member of the team? Again, no matter what level you're at. And what we found is that that, those four questions really help to tease out, you know, which employees are, are ready, willing, and able to grow with the organization going forward. 
So should an organization be investing in all of its people? Well, yes and no. <laughs> Let me uh, help explain my answer. Yes, if everybody shows um, what I'll call self-awareness, they know their strengths in areas of, uh, for development, they can demonstrate a very high return on investment for their employer, and they demonstrate that they want to grow and change. No, if they don't meet those conditions, uh, it really comes down to a strategic decision. It's a return on investment decision for most organizations. And gone are the days where you know organizations can throw money around. But they also recognize they're not, they're not being, given a, being given a lot of new headcount in the budget process to drive growth. So they got to get more from existing employees. And it's a heck of a lot more efficient financially to sprinkle a little water and sunshine on the, on the individual flower in the garden to help them grow bigger and stronger than to plant new flowers. So, so that's what, what organizations are doing. And there's a lot of wrong ways to do that and a few right ways. What are the right ways or the best ways you've seen? Well, and there's a great article that was written by the McKinsey Group on why leadership programs fail. And so I'm going to take the positive spin to that. I think the the best uh, methodology for this is, again, going back to the wisdom of that article, that employees see the context, the relationship to the business. They see how this is going to benefit their employer as well as themselves. They've got feedback that is objective as well as their own subjective opinion, and there's buy-in from both levels, from themselves and from the boss or HR or both who are there to steward and sponsor their development. So if all those conditions are met, then what we find is that it's best to, to get agreement on what is the technical skill that needs to go to the next level for the employee to make a bigger contribution so technical skills are those things that are peculiar to a job. So it might be for, let's say, an analyst, their ability to understand a new data set. So like AC Nielsen or IMS data or ability to use a spreadsheet. So Excel, advanced Excel training. And then there are non-technical skills. You know, we call them people skills or leadership skills that are across different roles and jobs within an organization. Now, in our travels, we find that there's really typically four levels of non-technical skills that should be under consideration. The first level is personal effectiveness. So the Coven, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits model is a, is a great platform to start with. You know, what are, what are the ways that I can be more effective or more productive? We actually like to leverage a course from a company called Leadership Management International called Effective Personal Productivity. It's a great course for helping to helping give people the skills and the ability to apply best practices around these habits and uh, ways of being productive and effective. You can call it working smart. The second level is, you know, personal strategic leadership. And it's a very popular concept with Gen X and Gen Y in particular. This is a generation that really wants to make sure that they're taking a holistic approach to their life. So how can I be both effective at work and outside of work? Well, treat yourself like a business or a brand. You know, what, what do you want your reputation to be? You know, what are your values and principles? How are you going to um, walk the talk on those values and principles in each area of life, whether it's financial career or it's spiritual or mental or community or family, all physical health even? This is a second level that we see people spending some time focusing on. The third level that you see come into play, particularly when individuals are now responsible for getting their work done with and through other people is their ability to lead people. So 
there's, a, again, a, a great course that we leverage from LMI on motivational leadership. And there's also some great offerings in the industry around coaching, so advanced coaching and mentoring skills. These are important skills for some employees to take to the next level if they're going to make the ultimate contribution to the plan and have a great year. And last but not least, especially at the senior level, many times we're asking individuals to lead an entire division or department or business, and those strategic leadership skills become important. So those are the elements that we see, Eric. I'm a big fan of, of application. I'm really not crazy about the old school of, well, let's send people off to an academic center and fill their minds full of these ideas and jam, put them in a room for five solid days and have tests and exams and you know, so they can regurgitate something from page eight and chapter one. You know, I, I went through a lot of that training in my career as well, and I don't know how much it helped me. What helped me is not reading a book by the side of the pool on swimming. What helps me is to get in the pool with a coach and learn to swim. So there's a piece of academic, I would argue that's between zero and maybe 20%. And then a big chunk of the learning, I'd say 60% of it, is applying those learnings to your goals with someone there to pick you up when you make a mistake and give you some visibility to other methodologies, other choices. And then the last part of it is the reinforcement of repetition and giving people a chance to rewire their thinking um, and try some different approaches. You know, it's no different than a young person learning to drive a car. You know, at first they think, oh, I'm great. (laughs) And the first time they back out from the driveway, they, you know, back over the cat or the garbage can. It's, It's not good. So once they recognize, as, as people do that from time to time, that I can do better, you know, again, I wouldn't want my sons to learn how to drive from just reading a book. Yes, you have to understand the rules of the road, but getting in the car with a trusted teacher in a safe environment, learning gradually, and then applying that learning over time with positive repetition is really the way to go in a modern sense. So employers should prioritize their investments in people depending on these factors, but anything else? Yeah, I think it really, the most important consideration, Eric, and I'm sure our listeners can relate, there's just never an infinite amount of money in the people development uh, bucket. And in fact, I think there's more accountability than ever before. There's a lot of positive pressure on learning and development professionals, HR, um, people leaders in organizations. So the advice we give our clients is look at the business plan and ask yourself, who are the game changers? And we have a client right now in the in the um, construction industry. They manufacture trusses, and they're the leader in their category. Well, when you're the leader in the category, everybody's coming after your business, and there's going to be some key people in your organization that are going to allow you to protect your market share and maintain your profitability. So our advice to them when they were considering investing in some leadership development for their folks was, look, you know, force rank your employees 1 through 50 and ask yourself for the next 6 to 12, 18 months, If you can only pick a handful of people to invest in them to make sure that they're making important contributions to your business, who would you pick? And they actually, the two senior managers actually started writing down some names, looked at each other, and quickly agreed on the three sub-team leaders that were going to be mission critical to the business plan going forward, what they called their game changers. So they've asked us to work with them to help develop their skills using the model I just described. It's a pretty powerful concept. Okay, so we've done a thorough review of the elements of planning, but we're starting to bridge that into implementation. We've reached a kind of halfway point, having covered the what elements of the process. In our next series of podcasts, we'll be moving on to the how, exploring the last five steps in achieving exceptional performance, including leading performance, 
defining the desired operating culture, measuring culture, leading the desired culture, and finally embedding the desired culture. To hear these next five episodes of Exceptional Performance Podcast, subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app or provider and find more information by visiting ProductiveLeadership.com. On behalf of myself, Rob, and the team working to bring you this show, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.